This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Messages and Previews, June 2023. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where we will soon be resuming our task of reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, from Ellsworth to Prince Philip. We'll be moving on to the Stuart Consorts, albeit starting with a little bit more Tudors, with our first chap of the season, Philip II of Spain. Oh yeah. Husband of Mary I. Uh, before that, as is now our habit, we're putting out this episode to go through some of your fantastic messages. Plus we'll be showing a few previews of some of our bonus content, all of which you can access by signing up to join the Privy Council at patreon.com forward slash rexfactor, as well as gaining access to our Discord server for chat. It is good chat. I mean, you're with your brethren. <laughs> To get in touch with us otherwise and contribute to these episodes, you can email rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at where we are at rexfactorpod. Anyway, let's hear what you've been saying. Messages. Well, this is the bit I fear because it's like uh, uh, you get your comeuppance <laughs> for everything that's gone before. Well, this one's me to start with. Um, I'd forgotten about this, but a couple of people picked me up on a comment I made in our review of Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, back in 2019. Mm. So as Tuppy Glossop relates, Graham makes Tuppy reference... Tuppy Glossop? Yeah. That's Using brilliant. That. That's yeah. a PG Woodhouse reference. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. What a star. Graham makes reference to the argument against <laughs> Lionel Messi being the greatest of all time, being down to his lack of a World Cup winner's medal. Ooh. Nothing for it now but a complete re-record. Hashtag remember Ieth. Hashtag remember Messi. I don't... I can't believe... I mean, so he's got four more years worth of medal, uh, presumably. <laughs> yeah. League one yeah. <laughs> wins. Um, and he's still had a case for being the best ever, but it's mm. just non... It's just non-negotiable, non-negotiable now. Yeah. yeah, Sally Cook also had a laugh listening back to this. But yes, since we recorded that episode, uh, Lionel Messi did lead Argentina to a World Cup victory in very dramatic fashion. And uh, yeah, it's well and truly put that criticism to bed. Ronaldo? Well, doesn't have a World Cup. Mm. Does have a Euros, though. <laughs> Where's yeah. Messi's European Championship? <laughs> <laughs> Now, we've had occasional discussions about potential nicknames for X Factor listeners, and on that front, here's a message from uh, Charlotte Kearson. Hi, both. 
I was thinking about how I haven't had much time to listen to you fellas lately. I had a baby. They're a lot of work. And mm. G-Man came into my head. Then I thought, would fans of Graham be called G-Men, similar to X-Men? And fans of Ali be called the A-Team? Well, I, can't, I see no reason why that. We shouldn't instigate that immediately. <laughs> um, although I think uh, I would like to make a slight suggestion on yours to remove the men element. Uh, the G-People or the G-Units. I call you G-Unit sometimes. <laughs> Mm. Well, there we go. Discussions, please. Slightly takes the um, the pun away if you change G-Men to G-People. Yeah, just uh, the people who support Graham. Well, as she, as she said, like the X-Men, I think they haven't changed to being X-People. No. I guess there's an understanding that they are, that it's encompassing. Oh. Well, you take your pick, I suppose. That's 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 one of the things that happens if you if you are one of the G men. You have to surrender your uh, identity <laughs> at the door. Not so much with the A team. We're more of a um, hmm. we're more of a welcoming house. Yes, <laughs> yes. All all four of those men can be in the A team. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the yeah, the other thing is it does require people to uh, declare their allegiance. Are they G men or A team? Yeah. When actually. We'll just Team Rex batter. One big melting pot. We sometimes find ourselves being involved in very significant moments in people's lives. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not this ended up being the case for uh, Pooja Nyoji. So she writes, Hi, Ali and Graham. Greetings from the States. I just wanted to write and tell you how much Rex Factor has helped me keep my sanity intact. Anyways, I am getting married this year and Rex Factor has kept me sane during this wedding planning process. I don't know what it's like for you all in the UK, but my God, us Americans managed to make getting married extremely stressful. I'm trying to find a way to incorporate Rex Factor into my vows. My fiancé has sometimes, against his will, gotten a lot of second-hand knowledge about English and Scottish monarchs because I end up giving him a summary after each episode, but he's always a good sport about it. He especially enjoys hearing about sex with nuns and thought Canute was a silly name. I think he secretly enjoys my summaries and random snippets. I don't doubt that for a minute. I hope she means, like, that uh, in the middle, the vowels might be something along the lines of I'll love you as Edward did Eleanor. <laughs> um, rather than it's like the time when Ali said that stupid thing and Graham said this funny thing about it yeah. <laughs> or, I, or I take the Ali <laughs> or for for a very reasonable price we can officiate for them Jim. <laughs> we might even bring, bring some of the G units with us <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, people listen to episodes at uh, different times. Depends on where they discover the podcast. But we're always happy to get correspondence about old podcasts, no matter how long ago, how long ago it was that we did them. So on that front, Michael Bassery has a suggestion. You'll be delighted to hear, Ali. Yeah. I really think you should do an episode solely on Dunstan. I feel like we have. <laughs> have we not? That should serve as adequate payback to Ali for not giving Edgar the piece of all the Rex Factor. I've done my time. I even, um, I rode him. Me. It's out there on YouTube. <laughs> Him being you in the box. Or Although the it wasn't as Edgar, wasn't it? I, did, I had the yeah. Edgar crown on. Uh, yeah. Michael Hanna has also written in with a pleasant email that definitely doesn't have a familiar sting in the tail. Mm -hmm. 
Hello there. Just wanted to say thank you for creating such an interesting and enjoyable show. Listening has made my commute to my unbearable job the highlight of my days often. Oh, lovely. Leave your job. Also, it is a disgrace Edgar the Peaceable did not achieve Rex Factor status. Thank you for everything, Michael. Michael, it's a worthwhile job. Stay where you are. <laughs> 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 oh, well, thank you very much for getting in touch. Um, yeah, that will never that will never leave me. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose at least you're not rowing Edgar about. Hmm. Now, it's always fun to pit monarchs against each other, and uh, Brad Barnes has had some thoughts on the two great Edwards of English history, Edward III and Edward IV. Oh, no, no, sorry, Edward I, that should be. Edward I and Edward III. Sometimes your acting does um, lead me right up the garden path, you know. <laughs> Uh, so Brad says, just re-listen to a couple of classics, Edwards 1 and 3. You made a lot of comparisons, naturally, as both were what you would want of a medieval king. However, do you not think, in terms of battliness, Edward III should have had more credit, as he was facing Champions League opponents, where Edward I was more Papa John's trophy? <laughs> yeah, they were. I mean, it was actually like Wrexham, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, if Edward III had come to the throne at the same age as Edward I, i.e. 32, and reigned for a similar length of time, 35 years, he would have died early 1360s and his legacy more or less intact. Likewise, if Edward I had, like Edward III, become king age 14, he would have faced the Barons' War and Simon de Montfort. How would that have turned out? I would have, he would have absolutely <laughs> destroyed Simon de Montfort on his own, without being hampered by his father. Only 14 at that point, though. He's not quite become uh, yeah, but the fully-fledged leopard. Mm. <laughs> I don't, I think, I think Edward would love, have loved to have tried it. <laughs> and I think uh, Simon would have quaked. What about the... Uh, Champions League, Papa John's Trophy comparison, Edward III up against France. I think what I was, uh, I'll just say to that, uh, football did not start with the invention of the Premier League. <laughs> or the Champions League. Yeah. Okay. Gary Lineker is an exceptionally gifted striker. Never played in the Premier League. Or Champions League. Quite a few people were in touch following the death of uh, Elizabeth II in our episode looking back at her life and reign. Now, in that, I stated that she fell just a few years short of overtaking King Louis XIV of France for getting the all-time longevity record of any monarch. Mm. Uh, which is true, but Leonard Goodnight and Joe Pertwee both got in touch to say that they think uh, Elizabeth deserves the credit. So as Leonard argues, considering only periods of personal rule, she's easily the longest since everyone who's close to her began reigning in their minority and had lengthy regencies. Louis XIV, for example, became king at four years old and had a regent for the first eight years of his reign. Her reign is easily the longest of those who assume the throne in adulthood. I'll take it. Thank mm. you, that man. Also, I'm beginning to suspect you're making up these names. <laughs> Leonard Goodnight. Leonard Goodnight. Ah, we meet again, Leonard Goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you slipped in a tuppy gloss up. <laughs> I did, yes. <laughs> uh, Dr. Mimi Lee pointed out that to die at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, Elizabeth II became the first English or British monarch to die in Scotland. 
Oh, Rex backed. And even with the Scots, with James VI of Scotland coming to England as James I, Mary Queen of Scots executed in England after losing her throne, last monarch of any kind to die in Scotland was James V in 1542. Wow. However, Jamie Wilkinson has an even more niche fact to go in here. Even more relevant for me, as I live in Aberdeenshire, she is the first monarch to die in Aberdeenshire since Lullock in 1058. Oh, yes. And she's she's the first monarch to die north of the A325 since 17... <laughs> oh, no, uh, Jamie says, I haven't found anyone else who seems particularly impressed with this. I hope it is of some interest to you. It is. Is I think this is exactly the amount of interest he'd want it to, to register. <laughs> yes. Which is, is it's like, mm, yeah, props to that man. Done. In the same vein, I've always meant to mention to you that in the town where I work, in Varuri, I discovered a few years ago an unremarkable small hillock in someone's back garden. As far as I know, no one pays much attention to it. It is, in fact, the burial mound of King Ieth of Scots. Who is this genius? He's just suddenly unearthed, pardon the pun, like more... <laughs> what? What? So in death, as well as in life, there's very little with which to hashtag remember Ieth. Well, we must... We must... We must to Scotland! With Dick spade. up someone's garden. Yeah, spade and bucket. That way speedily. <laughs> so poor old Ith. Uh, it's according to legend, so whether or not he is actually under there, who knows. But uh, I, yeah, I love the idea that, that is he br- is just in someone's garden and no one's interested. Yeah, we can have our very own Richard III moment here. <laughs> He's so uninteresting that someone who's... Someone in whose garden he is buried has chosen to plant begonias on him rather than even running a metal detector over it. That's amazing. Oh well, well thanks so much for for listening. That like this man. That's mm. a, uh nice. continuing with the Scots, uh, a couple of people listening through these old episodes got in touch about our technological advances. So first up, Dr. Sarah well. Brumner. Bit behind everyone, but I'm now on season two, Kings and Queens of Scots, and I'm absolutely loving that Ali now has a scandal bell. He seems delighted. I mean, it is some, it's up there somewhere. I say now, tra- tragically, you've either lost it or you've put it in a box and can't be bothered to get that box down and open the box, even though it potentially has the scandal bell, the uh, the bo- the o- transportable audio box, and possibly something else as well. So anyway, there's potentially yeah, a box. The splitters, yes, with a lot of useful Rex Factor items in it, but it's just covered in cables, which to mm. me um, it, it represents uh, all of my anxieties. If I were to <laughs> if I were to open the box of anxieties in my brain, it would look like a cable box. <laughs> um, it's not even a box; it's overflowing with cables. It's a mass of cables that is, is sort of supported underneath <laughs> somehow by a box. <laughs> that if I were to take it down, would all so. Um, I will do it at some point. Uh, similarly, on technology in the Scottish series, Bex Kearns. Guys, I listened to Malcolm III on my run this morning, and holy new microphones, Batman. <laughs> Although I'll be disappointed if this means I no longer get to hear the faint sirens in the background that have become a hallmark of many an episode. Uh, those were the days, weren't they? Yeah, so Malcolm III uh, of Scotland was uh, when we got our new fancy microphones, and there's a whole new world of sound quality. Yeah. No more sirens. I seem to recall that I hadn't figured out about upping the gain at this point, so um, it was a little quiet. So I think when we did our special episode on 
in William the Marshall was the next one we did. I think we reverted to the USB ones just for that because I wasn't quite sure about myself. But after that, on the main mm. podcast, it was fancy mics all the way. Yeah, that's top tip to anyone who wants to do a podcast. Just get the gear first. Uh, Kirsten and uh, Tino have been in touch about the Earl of Bothwell, Mary Queen of Scots's final husband. Uh, so he fled into exile, um, but then didn't fare terribly well once he had escaped. And they've got some more detail on his final fate. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned that he died in Norway, that is not entirely true. He did escape to Norway when the Scottish Highlands started burning under his feet and Mary got caught by the nobles. In Norway, he was arrested by the Danish king, Frederick II, who initially considered him a bit of a problem, but decided to use him as a kind of leverage in the grander scheme of European politics, and specifically with England. Not that much came out of that, and Bothwell was, after spending a few years in luxurious house arrest in Norway, transferred to Dragsholm Castle in Denmark. This was less luxurious and quite depressing, and after ten years of arrest, he died in April 1578. He was buried at Forval Church, and is probably the only foreign noble allowed to be buried inside the church in a glass coffin. This was usually only for the local nobility, so a great honour. It was only in the 1970s his remains were allowed by the current Danish Queen Margaret II to be moved to a wooden coffin. His relatives in Scotland tried in the early 2000s to get his remains back to Scotland, but the diocese are not so inclined to let go of their famous rogue, especially because he has got a new position as the house ghost of Dragsholm Castle and has been haunting the castle ever since. Well, that's a lovely uh, um, addendum to the whole Mm. thing. I mean, I think it's it's more than he deserved. (laughs) Actually, quite a nice retirement, and presumably even the rubbish castle was better than a surf I mean according to legend he was in a dank cell and went mad oh yeah so it might actually been quite unpleasant (laughs) in the end but what was all that glass coffin business why was that I'm not sure about that yeah I'm not sure about that what does that mean we were able to look in on him yeah and why in the 70s did they stop that because he was allowed a wooden one yeah it feels like oh in the glass yeah, no, glass quite coffins. A glass one. Yeah, yeah. And was it glass? Given that it was then, it was probably some very, very opaque stained glass where you could sort of look in with a special bit of equipment <laughs> and see sort of a bone. Hmm. Now, for the consorts, the English consorts, he was of course the last of the uh, the Scottish ones uh, prior to the prior to James. Um, a couple of people have been in touch with uh, some thoughts on our approach to scoring the consoles. Oh, yeah. So first up, Debbie Thomas. Dear Ali and Graham, I love Rex Factor. I started listening in the first series and it inspired me to start a little blog of my own about the Stuarts. Cool. I listened to all of Rex Factor again during lockdown as it made me feel like you guys were keeping me company during a very difficult, frightening and lonely time. Here's a thought about battling the scores for the queens who died in or because of childbirth. Should these queens perhaps be given more credit for dying in a kind of battle? I was talking about Valhalla with a friend of mine, and he suggested that Valhalla doesn't discriminate on the type of battle you lost. In a lot of cultures, death in childbirth was considered an honoured death in battle too. I love that. I love that. Mm. And it's, uh, yeah, it's points that only are available to those who go through it. So, by definition, <laughs> not the kings who reserve enough stuff to themselves anyway. Mm. 
And I guess the um, the flip side to that is, A, there are some earlier ones where we kind of don't know and we think might have died in childbirth, might not. I mean, I guess that's an extra point for someone we don't know anything yeah, about. Yeah, it doesn't affect the overall score when they don't know much about them. But I guess also it's a bit odd, I guess, giving a battleiness point to what is sort of, I guess, ultimately a sort of a, a passive loss, loss, quote, yeah. in battle. And I remember someone else who suggested that like, Ellen of Castile deserved extra battling points because she had so many pregnancies oh, yeah. she did have and survived through going through, so you, you know, dragged all over the place. I mean, I suppose that the argument there is just simply that maybe that it deserves the battling scores for going through it. In pregnancy, I think it's too it's, much. It's to not one we want to have to subjectively yeah. score. But I like that it's opened my mind up to the idea that it, in some cultures it is sort of respected in mm, the same way yeah mm. well thanks for writing in that's i mean are they interesting this lot yeah we've got good listeners yeah kevin ryan scoring uh thoughts related to scandal and uh, particularly the debate over um Anne Boleyn and Catherine howard he says, I've been obsessing over the discussion on the scandal scores of the two beheadeds. Catherine Howard should get 10, Anne Boleyn should get more than 10. Thought one, neither were remotely in the League of Isabella of France as regards scandal. So what does this imply for her score? Thought two, the maximum score for anyone has to be 10, unless the impact of scandal in the total score is to be increased. Others have to either A, score proportionately less than the highest, as is the case with length of reign, or B, be scored into bands with clear criteria so that there will be a threshold level of scandalous behaviour to get each score. Thought three, what I suggested before is not very realistic for Rexy's scoring, unfortunately, so we have to live with some unevenness. That's where I've landed. Mm. But yes, it's tricky. Some of those where it feels like, oh, but it's, it's got to be more somehow. It's not enough credit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just you just sometimes things things go into god mode <laughs> and scores aren't appropriate anymore. Mm. Uh, Rob Woods Rob Woods was listening to an episode at exactly the right moment today on the twenty ninth of March, twenty twenty three. I coincidentally reached episode series three, episode two on Elswith, which had a release date of the twenty ninth of March, twenty nineteen. When discussing the Winchester fire of 1141 by Bishop Henry catching the nunnery on fire founded by Elswith, noting you had recently recorded the extra episode of Matilda where the fire and bishop were also mentioned, Ali made the comment, there's people listening in four years' time who won't realise the significance of having just covered that in the special episode. It caught my ear and I am literally a person listening in exactly four years' time to the day. How <laughs> funny. Ah. I like that's we've got the opportunity to set those little future uh, time capsules up. Oh yeah, do you, do you want to start little another one now? Legs, yeah. Uh, oh god, now it's making me question my own mortality. Am I going to be here in another four <laughs> years? I hope so. Can someone say hello to me in four years and say, "Well done, <laughs> made it, you survived." I did that with a friend the other the other day. I just got a, a, a um. Well, it was say the other day. It was December. I got a thing flash up. Say, say hello to Mark from March. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? <laughs> J 
John's consort, Isabella of Angoulême, continues to fascinate people with her crazy, chaotic approach to life. Uh, Kira Daniel said, Just listen to the Isabella of Angoulême episode, and that woman was insane. I'm obsessed with her. Mm. Which one? What, what did she do? Uh, she was one who was mother to Henry III, but then she goes off, um, marries... Oh, yeah, King John's wife. Yeah, Is John's right? wife. So she went yeah. off to marry the son of the man she'd originally been betrothed to who was in fact now betrothed to her daughter and just caused all sorts of chaos plotting against france dragging england into wars it couldn't really yeah and at the end of like, why'd you do that yeah 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 uh, she is fascinating like that steffi says i have to say medieval england or more accurately the left of france was chock full of badass queens i want an epic historical miniseries based on isabella of angoulême now you know what? That that this whole period, we've just done. Um, is it Catherine de Medici? And you were saying then there's a whole period of strong women. Hmm. It'd be great to see it. Yeah, a miniseries with the just not even thinking about it. The focus is on the women and the men hmm. being the supporting cast. It'd be really interesting. A merch question from LDP Foster. Please tell me, yeehaw! It's Catherine. Yeehaw! It's Catherine Parr is going on a T-shirt. I'll have three if you do. <laughs> Oh dear, that's such a. Imagine if you were wearing that and someone understood what on earth you were you were talking about. <laughs> uh, Helen Helen Hechtel has a, a little Rex fact looking ahead. Since the next consort to come up is Philip II of Spain, I just wanted you uh, just want to tell you a nice Rex fact in relation to him. The motto on his coat of arms is "Non sufficit orbis," translating into English as "World, the is, world not enough. is not enough." Like the 1999 James Bond movie. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also by 1998 Latin exam. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for your favourite part of the podcast. Limericks. Oh, brilliant. We didn't have a Catherine Parr limerick available from Louise Brimkin when we did our Right to Reply episode on The Six Wives, but thankfully we do now have one from Louise on Catherine Parr to share with you today. Oh my goodness! This is like a little present. I'd completely forgotten that we, this. Do we? Do we? Is it now we do it, or do we just do it whenever? We're doing it now. All right. Okay. Uh, Though Catherine was really not keen, she accepted her fate to be queen, to advance education, a church reformation, and bathe in warm milk to keep clean. <laughs> oh, you think it's like um. <laughs> It's like she's got dribbling the ball in, oh, nearly lost, boom, in the goal. <laughs> so many difficult words there. Wonderful. Well done. Shout outs. We like to give a little shout out to some other podcasts that you might want to check out when you're engaged in uh, listening to Rex Factor. In our most recent mini-series, two of our three interview guests uh, present podcasts. So please do check out Not Just the Tudors by Susanna Lipscomb on History Hit, where she talks about all things Tudor period. So it's the Tudors, but also not just the Tudors. Because it's I, called you know, Not Just the Tudors. I thought for a while that that might be a clever pun on Jasper Tudor. No. I'm I think sometimes hard, you're just I? looking too hard for puns. Yeah. And also check out the Partial Historians podcast, where Dr. G and Dr. Rad are charting the history of ancient Rome. Yeah, and they, they should be somewhere around the, the second building that was ever made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A deep dive. 
Also appearing on our pub quiz for Privy Councillors were Michelle and Lucy from Tudoriferous. Mm-hmm. Uh, they review all the non-monarch figures from Tudor court. So they're going in chronological order. So currently deep into the world of Henry VII's court. So if you want to learn more about all of the people who aren't the kings and queens of Tudor mm-hmm. England, they've got you covered. That's a good... Is it, if you want... If you find this period of history interesting now, the mm. world is your oyster, isn't it? There's all these different podcasts that look at every single angle. It's not just go to the library and see if, I mean, yeah. the, what, I can't even think of a Tudor film. I can't think of a single one. Uh, Anna, the Thousand Days, we're going to be watching. Yeah. The you other Berlin girl, we're not going to be watching. Yeah, life's better now, isn't it? <laughs> Um, I mean, also on the Tudor front, podcast-wise, um, another one to definitely check out if you want more Tudors in your podcast feed is um, Talking Tudors, which is presented oh, by yeah. Natalie Gruniger. So she um, interviews, well, historians, authors, and people who specialise in various things like the clothes or particular things. Uh, so, yeah, so lots of really good in-depth interviews with uh, Tudor and around Tudor historians. So that's definitely one to check out if you want more Tudors in your life. Who doesn't? Some other shout-outs, another X Factor-inspired podcast that's now out there is the Alexander Standard, which is reviewing and rating all the successes of Alexander the Great, from Perdiccas to Cleopatra the Seventh. All right. How many is that? I don't know, actually. Quite a lot, I would imagine. Hmm. I don't know what times are talking. I mean, 300 BC to some. It goes blurry Just... after he dies. I've only got the first 30 years. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, so I guess that's about 300 years, actually, isn't it? If that's Cleopatra as in the Cleopatra. Oh, Yeah. Look at us, historians. We just put the two together. Hmm. Now, not a podcast, but a musical shout-out. Rex Factor listener and Privy Councillor Andrew Schneider is a composer, and he now features on an official release for the first time, having contributed final two pieces of music to the album Pinnacle Volume 3, Contemporary Chamberworks, published by Navona Records. Nice one. So please do go check that out. It's available in all the usual places, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, etc., more details on the Vona Records website. Uh, and finally, Laura Morrison has asked us to give a shout-out to her friend's archaeological project, Dig Hartlebury, which aims to use historical and archaeological backgrounds to investigate crop markets at Hartlebury Castle in Worcestershire, which may have been part of a civil war bastion. Oh. So you can find out more on their Facebook page or make a donation on the GoFundMe page. We'll put links to that and all of the other podcasts and shout-outs and things in the episode notes. Super. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Previews. So if you join the Privy Council, you are then guaranteed an episode every week via our Tuesday Talks podcast. So the mm-hmm. idea behind this is that each week we give an update on what's been happening behind the scenes at Rex Factor so you know where I'm at with my research, what we've been recording, what we've got coming up, etc. However, it now also involves a lot of the rather random and inexplicable things that Ali has been doing during the week. So yeah. in this clip from Tuesday Talks 81, Ali tells us how he managed to inexplicably injure himself with a fridge and in the process came to the realisation <laughs> that he had been making some questionable life choices in the process. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to your face? I was taking apart a fridge. Um, I mean, let's before we get the actual story of what happened, the headline is, you hit your face with a fridge. <laughs> I hit my face with a fridge. I, did, I, I hit my face with a fridge. It bled quite a lot. Like it was, I couldn't see for a while because all the blood was <laughs> going in my eye. Um, and um, I think I was quite confused for a while because I really hit my head with this fridge. Uh, so what, back what about meeting. the how then? The how that, that you were about to oh, start yes. describing. So how did you hit your face with a fridge? Well, uh, basically I've got, I've got a load of fridges. And, Obviously, um, yeah. They need... They need to not be in my life anymore because I need more space. Uh, but rather than just taking them to the tip, I was just going to dismantle them for their metal and stuff. <laughs> um, I'm not entirely sure why. I think it's more it turned into more of a hobby now to just... Um, no, don't let this be your new thing. Again, it's saying it out loud and makes me realise that Beck is totally right. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, it's a ridiculous of my time. Anyway, right. So, <laughs> rather than taking it to the tip where um, if there's a big scrap metal thing yeah. that says EMR on it, mm. closer to home, there's another tip where they give you the money for the metal. Mm. So I thought, right, okay. So this is just down my. If I have anything that I've, I'm like a like a squirrel. Because I'm, I'm I love the recycling. I love that I can. I know this is really valuable raw stuff, and they just give me money for it. So anything that's going, I've got this fridge. So I, I was, I was, I was mostly concerned because I was wielding an angle grinder, right? So that's where my, all my attention was. <laughs> and I was dismantling this bit of fridge. Let's not the wise, but uh, and cut a bit under that was under quite, quite severe tension so that then that twang and, and in in my haste to move this uh, uh angle grinder away from any danger i sacrificed my face once again to the fray so when i came back from uh from my trip to, to the metal place 
um, having wasted a good three hours of a working day, and um, um, bandaged up, I showed Becca the receipt for 30 quid. And she said, what a waste of your time. <laughs> and at the time, I felt totally deflated. But now I completely see what she was coming from. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I hope she never hears this. <laughs> I feel really exhausted hearing it back. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. <laughs> it's always good to work these things out. I'm actually crying. Actually crying. <laughs> really good to have got that out of my system. Thank mm. you. I'm just going to take all that stuff to tip, not even worry about it. Excellent. Brilliant. I'll let back another good news. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All our monthly patrons also get access to the Privy Chamber, which is an episode that we do after each of our main podcast episodes, whether you're reviewing a king or queen or whatever. So we go into more detail on the subject, extra information uh, that I did in my research but didn't get into the main episode, as well as various other things, both historical and not. So we have history news, uh, Ali does some book reviews. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Not for today, though. Uh, anyway, here is a clip from our Privy Chamber episode for uh, Catherine of Aragon, where we're talking about uh, Henry's attempt to intimidate her in 1531. Now, when Catherine bested him by the legal routes, Henry tried to intimidate her into submission, um, which obviously also proved completely ineffective. Um, his most notable attempt was when he sent, uh, in 1531, a delegation of 30 Privy Councillors to interrupt Catherine as she was going to bed. Uh, so you got nobles, bishops and lawyers all making their points against her. So the Duke of Norfolk kicked things off, explaining why they were there and how she'd hurt Henry and endangered the nation. Mm. Catherine calmly responded, No living soul regretted more than she did the annoyance the king had experienced, nor the contempt and humiliation whereof he complained, especially if, as the king said, she was the principal cause of it. Mm. Uh, Norfolk didn't seem to have a particularly well-constructed flow of argument, so he then berated her that Henry had never been thanked for the assistance he'd provided to her father, Ferdinand. <laughs> oh, so just dredging that up for yeah. no good reason. Uh, yeah. Catherine answered that if he had not had time to do so, it had been on account of his death. <laughs> good for her. Uh, a lawyer, Dr. Lee, was more direct, telling Catherine that her marriage was acknowledged by scholars to be a most detestable and abominable act because she had been carnally known by Prince Arthur. And it's lovely to see you here too, Cardinal. Out you go. She was having none of this. You had better address your allegations to others. You shall never persuade me that what you say is the truth. In this present case, you are neither my counsel nor my judge, and I can very well see that what you have said just, you have just said is more for the sake of flattering the king than of adhering to truth. Brilliant. Next up is Dr. Sampson, who said that she was dragging things out by insisting that her case be heard in Rome. She counted that if Henry had been forced to see the legality of his marriage and his own virginity dredged up before all of Europe, he would understand the need to refer it to the highest authority available. Uh, the Bishop of Lincoln won the award for the harshest effort of the night, accusing her of living in concubinage with God's uh, judgment shown by sending down the malediction of sterility with which she had been visited. 
What an unpleasant bunch. The Bishop of Lincoln, this one is. Mm, yeah. uh, Catherine doesn't rise to the bait, but continued to protest her status. Although she esteemed and loved the king as much as woman can esteem and love man, even should he be 100,000 times greater in quality and perfection, she would never have remained in his company one single moment against the voice of her conscience. She knew perfectly well that she was his legitimate and true wife, and that the proofs to which they alluded, if any existed to the contrary, were forged and false. Mm. So at this point, she sort of mockingly looked around the room, declared she was astonished to see so many mighty figures around her, saying she could not imagine why such a large delegation had to surprise her at such an hour without friends or counsel. Mm. Norfolk claimed that she had the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Bishops of Rome, uh, and the Bishops of Durham and Rochester on her side. Mm. Technically true in that they are on her council, though uh, the amount of help they were providing was not particularly valued by Catherine. And this is the moment where she almost slips out of... I'm just an innocent woman minding own business into I'm the daughter of a king and I will break blood yeah. upon you all. Uh, where she says of these bishops, pretty counsellors those are. For if I ask Canterbury's advice, he answers me that he will have nothing to do with such affairs and keeps repeating to me the words era principis mors est. Uh, so that, oh, I don't know. What is it? Uh, I think it's something like that anger, a prince's anger is death. Mm, okay. Uh, the Bishop of Durham answers that he dares not because he is the king's subject and vassal. Rochester tells me to have good heart and hope for the best. Yeah, that's not very good counsel, to be fair. No, I mean, Rochester, to be fair, um, that's not a very fair assessment of his loyalty because that's John Fisher, Bishop Fisher, the one that will ultimately lose his head, refusing to sign the oath. Mm. So I think it's fair to say that he was pretty well committed to her cause. Yeah. But maybe she hadn't seen the full extent of that at the time that the delegation comes in. Um, still, though, um, as we said in the episode, they're all forced to just look around awkwardly and think, well, that's kind of all we've got, really. <laughs> are, are you going to accept the divorce then? <laughs> yeah. No. We've come all this way. There's an awful lot of us. Yeah. Can you see? We're really intimidating and everything. going to be that impressed. Privy Councillors commission us to do bonus special episodes on a whole variety of topics which can be accessed either by being a patron at the special episode tier or by purchasing individual, ep- individual episodes for £2 from payhip.com forward slash Podcast. Now we've done all sorts of things over the years Battle of Waterloo, um, William Marshall, History of Tea, Isabard Kingdom Brunel. Our most recent special episode is on Catherine de' Medici, notorious Queen Consort of France, who was also Queen Mother to several of her sons, in which she was often the most powerful figure at court. Uh, it's the most incredibly chaotic period in French history with the wars of religion. Uh, and most controversially for Catherine, of course, there was the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Now, one benefit of the tour uh, is that she's got all the leading figures of court on both sides of the religious divide under her nose so she can keep an eye on them all. Mm. So by staging magnificent entertainments everywhere she went, she also gives them something to do and to occupy their minds other than, you know, plotting war against each other. Yeah. She That's also, why the Pope wanted to get rid of them to crusade, wasn't it? Just they yeah. need a crusade. Yeah. Just need an outlet. Mm. It's like Catherine skate also, parks, wasn't it? You just, <laughs> they just need more, more things or youth centres. Yes. It's the declining cub, cub and scouts. Catherine also establishes a hidden influence over them through what became known as her flying squadron. Oh my goodness, this sounds right up my street. Now, Catherine de' Medici's flying squadron may have the ring of an alternative name for Monty Python's flying circus. Mm. It's actually a highly effective network of sexy spy ladies. 
I was, I was not interested for about half a second. Now I'm back interested. <laughs> As Queen, Catherine had been rather prudish and had zero tolerance for sexual indiscretions from her ladies, but she now decided to use it to advantage. So she had something like 80 beautiful young women that she insisted be dressed like goddesses in silk and gold at all times, who mm. seduce courtiers and then in the process gleam very useful information for Catherine. But they'd be in a in a sexy uniform, so you know if you're being sexy times that you're being used. Well, they don't uh, advertise the spying bit, just the sexy bit. Mm. The spy bit they keep secret. That's one of the uh, key key bits of the spying business. But they'll know that I'm a spy. No, you don't tell them that. (laughs) But uh, can I be overtly sexy? (laughs) Yes. So that's where I've been going wrong. When I've been going around saying I'm a spy and assuming people think I'm sexy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, So the Chronicle of Branton rather modestly described Catherine's squadron as very beautiful and very polite maidens with whom one conversed each day in the Queen's antechamber. And they they went. It was. It wasn't just that they were sexy looking. They were pro- prostitutes. Well, so, they're not prostitutes, okay. but they are seeking to to bed the gentlemen, to maintain a hold over them, <clears throat> be mistresses. Jeanne d'Albret, the widow now of Antoine de Bourbon and Protestant Queen Regnant of Navarre in her own right, was scandalised by these ladies. So she wrote of Catherine's court: "It is not the men who invite the women." but the women who invite the men. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. As far as Catherine was concerned, they should appear decorous in public, but do whatever they want in private, provided they had the wisdom, ability, and knowledge to prevent a swelling of the stomach. Now, this last part is not always perfectly observed, so uh, Isabel de Limoy uh, started an affair with Condé at Catherine's direction, and while she did stop Condé attending Protestant worship at court... So it's not just learning stuff, it's also exerting a bit of influence behind the scenes. Uh, Unfortunately, Isabel also fell pregnant and gave birth whilst on the Grand Tour. Catherine is furious and has her locked up in a convent until she was deemed to have sufficiently repented. Star Chamber members also get to commission something we call Local Legends, where we look at a personal place that is local to a Star Chamber member. This gives us a chance to shine a light on individuals that we don't usually get to look at in our shorter format, uh, we don't usually get to look at, and also in a slightly shorter format than the special episodes. So in this clip, we are looking in our, in this clip from my, in this clip from our most recent Local Legends podcast, we are discussing the Anglo-Jewish moneylender, Licorice of Winchester. Anyway, for Licorice, the opportunities available to her as a Jewish woman in the 1230s seem to have outweighed the disadvantages. Or perhaps she is just very, very good at uh, navigating the system. So by 1240, she's very wealthy in her own right. But in 1242, she takes her career to another level by making a strategic marriage alliance to a chap called David of Oxford. David is one of the richest Jews in England, probably roughly in his 50s, while Licorice is somewhere in her 30s. We don't know whether there's a genuine personal passion between them, but there was certainly some very clear pragmatic reasons for David to want to marry her, because not only is she a successful businesswoman who has a lot to offer him as a partner in Mm. business, Mm. uh, she also has four children while he is currently childless. So it's both... Well, it means he thinks, oh, well, she is probably... Oh, right. Good stock. Good breeding stock. Not that she's bringing children with him 
with her for in his children. He wants his own children. Yes. Yeah. He wants his own children, and she is obviously able to have children. Hmm. So by combining their wealth, resources, and contacts, they can create a very formidable business partnership, and there is the prospects of a family legacy to follow as well. Good. Only fly in the ointment is that David is already married to a lady called Muriel. Oh, right, yeah. Getting divorced at this time is very difficult and almost impossible when Muriel refuses to give her consent. Okay, yeah. Which is kind of required uh, in the, uh, the Jewish practice. I mean, so it sounds stabby. Well, either she wants a better settlement from David or she simply doesn't want to lose her husband. Um, So assisted by her brother, Muriel appeals to the French Beth Din, which is a rabbinical court of Judaism. Yeah. And the French jury is apparently generally accepted as superior in England. So she appeals to the higher... Like court? Yeah, the higher Judaic court. And that finds in her favour and orders David to return to his wife. Right. Now it's at this point that the benefit of being the property of the king comes in handy because David makes a direct appeal to the king of England, Henry III, asking him to help. And given that David is incredibly wealthy, and thus something of a money spinner, and that we've got a foreign, non-Christian authority interfering in legal matters within England, that's not going to go down well with the king, and indeed, Henry intervenes decisively. And he writes, For David of Oxford... The King to Master Moses of London, Aaron of Canterbury, and Jacob of Oxford. Jews, greeting. (laughs) We do hereby forbid you from henceforth holding any plea concerning David, Jew of Oxford, and Muriel, who was the wife of the same. You are not to distrain him under any circumstances, or to take or retain her or any other woman as his wife. Know for a certainty that if you do otherwise, you will incur grave punishment." Is that a normal greeting? Well, yes, I guess guess so. Um, But still, in other words, the Jewish courts of England and France should keep well out of it, and David can marry whoever he wants to marry. Uh, And indeed, so he does. David and Licorice are quickly married, and uh, happily, so the marriage produces a son, Asher, who is nicknamed Sweet Man in 1243. That's lovely. The Privy Council. So, as we said at the start, you can get access to all of this bonus content and more by becoming a Privy Councillor on Patreon. Uh, we've been increasing our output recently, so this is what you get if you sign up. We've got three tiers, Privy Chamber, Special Episodes and Star Chamber. At the Privy Chamber level, you get the Privy Chamber podcast we mentioned, uh, Tuesday Talks every week, Rexflix, where we review monarch-based films on historical accuracy and entertainment, plus we do pub quizzes and uh, Q&A live streams. Yeah, that's fine. Everyone joins in. For those at the special episodes tier, you get all of that, plus free access to our bonus special episodes, which are usually a couple of hours long and based on topics commissioned by Privy Councillors, plus a special episodes extra, which is like a Privy Chamber, but for the special episodes, so more of my research. Also, we've got the Local Legends podcasts, plus special local messages, which is kind of like this podcast, but just for messages from the bonus content. And then finally, the top level is the Star Chamber, where you get to help shape our content, voting for what special episodes and local legend podcasts we do, plus the Star Chamber podcast, where you can watch us record it live, where we go through all of those options and uh, give you the results from previous votes. What's the thing where they win? Because we just did that today. So, yeah, so uh, at the end of each of our mini-series, so like when we did the uh, 
the Six Wives of Henry VIII, we sort of call that a mini-series. We then do a random draw from each of the three tiers, and the winning person gets, if they want, a 30-minute Zoom chat with us. Yeah. Which is always a lot of fun to do. Amanda Amanda today, didn't we? Hmm. Birmingham, Alabama. So yeah, so that's also uh, that's also something you might be able to win, um, and of course, all privy councillors uh, can access our Discord server. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So that's a sort of an online chat thing. That's my uh, that's my front door to the internet now. That's <laughs> where you go first of all. BBC Sport, BBC News, Discord. So there is lots of lovely bonus content out there. So if you like what we do, sign up patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor and you'll open up a whole new world of Rex Factor goodliness. <laughs> and we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold. Chris Connolly, Liz Sheridan, Hamish Goodwin, Mitchell Dutt, Katie Dyer, Juan Williams, Daniel Wyoming, Christine Purvis, Louisa White, Sarah Smith, Micheline Possant, Joe Turner, Sloan, Graham Smith, Kelly Duggan, Janina Mathewson, Emily, Maria Clara Verdick, David Marland, Noga, David Hammond, Kirby Carlson, Anna Fetty, No Time to Lose, spelt as in the phrase in France, to lose. Oh, very good. Yep. Well, I love a pun. Yeah, yeah. And Karen Lance. Welcome, arise. And gorge upon the Rex Factor goodies. And that's uh, Janina Matthewson from uh, History of Sexy podcast. Oh, nice. Hello. She did a pub, pub quiz with us as well. Yeah. Anyway, that is all from us today. Our next episode will be the first man of uh, the third series, the sort of consort to Mary I, Philip II of Spain. Wicked. Until then, however, it's goodbye from us, and there's still just time for you to come and see us at Ludlow if you haven't bought tickets for our live show Saturday 17th of June 7pm come see us talk about the six wives bye bye bye